Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, it is so good uh, to be here today as we continue in this series. And I just want to bring us back to last weekend a bit to something that I said, that I love this church. I love your marriages. I love your family, your kids, your grandkids. I love you. And sometimes in the life of a church, there are things that we need to address because we love each other and uh, because we're called to care for one another. And uh, this is such a time. You know, we have been through a lot. Uh, In our country, uh, with all the division that's going on, with the virus and everything, I think people are just tired. They're really, really tired of it all. And so sometimes when people come to church, you know, they, they just want to get away from it all, just experience peace and just kind of get a rest from all of that other stuff. And, and I get it. Um, I, I love that as well. And yet there are times for which we need to address things in the church um, that can be difficult, um, things that are going on in our world today. And so this past spring, just praying about what we would talk about, what we really need as a church. And uh, one of the things we needed is to be rooted, rooted in our faith. There is so much much confusion in our world today. And so in the middle of September, we are starting this all-church series called Rooted. And we're going to talk about what we believe, why we believe it, and how we can better share it and represent Jesus in our world. We'll be taking a look much at the the book of Acts, but we're going to be learning from the early church. And it's going to be an astounding, unifying time. And so I want to encourage you to think about what group you might join as we engage in this journey called Rooted. And the reason why I think that's so important for so many different reasons, but because of the culture we're living in now. And there are so many things at play that want to unroot your faith, want to unroot you. And that's what we're in in this series called Beyond Doubt, because doubt is on the rise in our society. It's it's being talked about. It's something that is almost more esteemed than actually embracing something with surety regarding your faith. And so we're talking about this in this series Beyond Doubt because of really this movement that's out there aimed at unrooting you. And we began the series last weekend, and so today I just want to kind of grapple with the question then, how does this movement try to help people to embrace a different gospel, a different Jesus? How do they go about that? Well, right before COVID, this young man in his mid-20s, he walked into my office that morning, and you know, he, he walked in with kind of a body language that communicated he had a real purpose in mind, and he did. And so he sat down, I remember him looking right at me and saying, you know what, I've never been to your church, never been to a service, but I did want to meet with you. And then he told me, you know, he'd been traveling around meeting with other pastors in order to learn what pastors really held in common regarding their beliefs. What did they share in common? And then after telling me that he himself had left the Christian faith a couple years ago, he slowly revealed his bottom line with this question that confused me at first. He said, are you like most of them? He's referring to the pastors. I said, well, I I don't know. Like them in what way? 
And it was then he leaned forward in his chair to kind of reveal his bottom line. He said, you don't really believe the Bible is true anymore, do you? And then before I even had a chance to answer, he said, many of the pastors that I've met with have been honest enough to share with me what they're too afraid to share with their congregations, that they really don't believe in the Bible anymore. And it was at that point I knew who I was talking to. You see, I didn't know his life story, didn't know anything about him. He just walks into my office, but I did know a journey he had engaged in. It's called the journey of deconstruction. It's the identification of the constructed elements of one's faith, followed by the dismantling of each core belief in order to discern what might be useful, abandoned, or redefined. The idea is that you, from the time you're young, you are constructing a faith based on what you're taught in church, based on what you read in the Bible. And so this movement would say, well, now you need to deconstruct that so that you can discern for yourself what in the Bible might be useful for you, what you should abandon, or what you could redefine that it didn't, didn't really mean that back then, but it could kind of help you right now in kind of a different way. Now, you know, if we're really going to be honest... I think many Christians are tempted to embrace some form of deconstruction. For example, the Christian who's prone to gossip will often try to minimize or abandon the seriousness of that sin and think it's okay. Uh, Christians who sometimes struggle with, uh, you know, one of the parables and what Christ is really teaching will kind of redefine that parable in order to live out a different story in their own life. Or the Christian who desires only to focus on the love of God will often redefine his love in order to live out something that they want to live out that they really, in the back of the mind, know that it's, it's probably not that good. So in one way or another, deconstruction is something that many people have engaged with, but it's certainly not always good. And that's why it was really important for me and for all of us to understand what kind of deconstruction this man in my office had embraced. Well, this form of deconstruction is often synonymous with what is known as progressive Christianity. And progressive Christianity comes by some other names as well, like the emerging church. It's known by that name. Or the most popular lately has been exvangelicalism, or to be an exvangelical. I'll give you a painful example. Many people here might know the name John Piper. He's a famous theologian, pastor. I don't know, he's written like, I don't know, 100 books. I mean, he's just, he's amazing. Uh, his, one of his sons is now a multimillionaire on the internet for standing against everything that his father stands for. He is an ex-vangelical aimed at getting people to leave the faith. And this is what's happening across our country. Now, Hear me on this. I don't want you to feel like I'm so judgmental on this because at the beginning of this movement, there were some really good things this movement caused us to kind of you know, contemplate. For example, they would ask questions like, are we as Christians really serving others the way that we're supposed to serve? I think we should ask ourselves that question. Or does the Bible really limit the role of women in the church the way that some people say that it does? And I think we need to grapple with that one. Or are we truly loving those from the LGBTQ community? Are we so busy judging them that we ourselves have forgotten what love even looks like? These are some hard questions, but some good questions we need to contemplate. But that movement now has moved on from those questions on to other things. And so while scripture tells us, everything that I command you, you should be careful to do. You should not add to it or take from it. 
This movement adds from the Bible and takes from it all the time and redefines it because they would say that everything is a constant state of change. So what was once true in biblical times is no longer true for us right now because bottom line for this movement that truth is relative. And so the Bible now isn't always authoritative because we live in an advanced society. This is another gospel that's being promoted in our culture today. Many people are buying it. And the Apostle Paul warned us of this movement. He says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone preaches to you a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. You see, he was kind of frustrated with this church because people in the church knew that their family and friends, certain members, had walked away from the faith due to false theologies that were getting preached, and they didn't care enough to do anything about it. What we saw last week and as we kicked off this series is that in each one of the services, there were only between five or ten people here who had ever heard of this movement before. So many people are just surprised, unaware and for the people who are aware of it, not exactly sure what to do about it because they're not really sure, like, what are they really saying? What do they really believe? So we're going to grapple with that today because this is another gospel that's being presented. And God, he really has called us to engage with those who are follow, you know, falling away so that we can help lead them back to the road of blessing in their life. C.S. Lewis said it this way, we all want progress. But progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. Well, the progressive man in my office had asked me this question. A question he quickly answered kind of himself. And then he told me this. What many pastors have discovered, he said, is what I, he's referring to himself, had discovered a couple years ago. First, the Bible is not God's word to man, but man's words about God. You see the spinning here. And friends, this is most often where the deconstruction process starts. Because leaders in this movement know that if they can get you to question the reliability of Scripture, they can get you to buy almost anything else. And by doing so, leaders and many would say their spiritual leaders are avoiding what Scripture says. That all Scripture is what? God breathed. God breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And yet central to progressive Christians are the many questions surrounding the idea that God has had much of anything to do with the writing of Scripture. And so how are the clear teachings of the Bible navigated? Well, for many, they would say, well, the biblical writers, I'm sure they certainly meant well, but they didn't write on behalf of God or in response to God. In fact, the biblical writers back then wrote down what they understood about God at that time and then shared it with us to consider we are then to serve as judges over what is authoritative or not based on our advanced level of knowledge. This is the ground upon which this man in my office stood. 
So he asked me a question, you know, are you like them? Do you really believe in the Bible? And so I looked at him, I said, you know, I'm often amazed at the progress we see in science. I mean, aren't you amazed? All the advancements, all that we're seeing transpiring, it's astounding. But regarding your question, I said, you know, just think about this. About 100 years ago, scientists like Albert Einstein believed that the world had kind of always existed in this kind of a state. And then he was called to visit the Hubble telescope in the 1930s, and suddenly his world transformed. And he reported to the news media, he says, I now see the necessity of a beginning because he saw that the universe was expanding. And if it's expanding, it had to start with something. So there's a necessity of a beginning. I looked at him and I said, you know, science later referred to this as the Big Bang, a powerful explosion of light. And then about 10 or 20 years later, science said, well, it, it didn't really begin at that point. Before the Big Bang, before this powerful light, the world existed in kind of a formless state. On a similar but different note, I said, a little over 150 years ago, the science world started to believe that of all the things that were made in our world, human beings were created last. And I said, these are both fairly new discoveries made by man. And yet thousands of years ago, the Bible already told us these things. In the very first book of the Bible, we find the phrase, in the beginning. The Bible tells us that basically after this explosion of light, uh, before all of that, right, the world was what? It was formless and it was empty. And then in the closing words of the Bible's first chapter, it says that human beings were created last. And so while those in the science world spent decades of time and millions of dollars to report these findings, all they needed to do was read the first chapter in the Bible that God gave us. So no, I'm not like the other pastors you met with, if indeed you actually met with these pastors. But I would like to meet with you again. I'd like to talk about this. Let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about God. He never came back. As C.S. Lewis says, if you were on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. And yet, once someone starts to doubt the reliability of the Bible, often the next step in the deconstruction process is to get that person to question one of the Bible's bedrocks. They'll basically say it kind of like this in different ways, but original sin is a damaging belief, while original blessing is what sets us free. Original sin, we see this in the Bible, that since Adam sinned, his sin has been passed along to us, which separates us from God. And I would say this, if you would doubt at all that sin exists, just try to raise a child for a couple days. That's all you need to do. Because I'll tell you what, while some kids are better than others, it's amazing you never have to teach a child the words no, mine, or now. They do all that by themselves. And the Bible's clear about original sin. It tells us, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And so that means that there's never been a moment in our lives when sin hasn't impacted us in some way. And yet many progressive Christians would say, well, original sin is not only untrue. It's one of the most damaging things ever taught by Christians throughout time. And that's why instead of using the word sin, they would rather refer to the word humanity. 
because this kind of normalizes our hurtful actions and kind of makes them expected, but not wrong. And this is why they'd rather refer to something they call original blessing. And here's what it means. Since we were born in the image of God, which we are, we are good with God. It's merely our own sense of shame that separates us from him. Now, when you read the Bible in Genesis, you certainly see shame. I mean, Adam and Eve, they were, sh- they were shamed, right? They hid away. They covered themselves in shame. But that's not uh, the end of the story, right? What caused them to be separated from God and move out of the garden was a result of their actions, their choice to sin. Let's define terms. Sin is an immoral act or transgression against divine law. Shame is the feeling of humiliation caused by wrong or foolish behavior. Now, some progressive Christians struggle with the word wrong, but they're okay with, you know, things being foolish or not being as wise as they could be. And so what is the deconstruction solution? That we need to understand that sin never separated us from God in the first place. And since God blessed us and accepted us when we were born, he blesses and accepts us right now. There's nothing we need to do. There's no repentance, no obedience needed. And yet the Bible tells us regarding Jesus that he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. The idea that we have a sin problem and Jesus died on the cross so that anyone who believes in him, confesses and and follows him will have eternal life. And yet the further someone walks down this journey of deconstruction, they would say Jesus may have died on the cross, but he died for no real purpose. Last week, and if you were here, I talked about this pastor from Grand Rapids that that left, went down to Hollywood and started to be a pastor to the stars. He's no longer a pastor anymore. But in one of his top-selling books, there's a chapter that, that really begins this way. It's the heading of the chapter. Why did Jesus have to die? And the very next words, he didn't. He was just killed. Keep in mind that many of Christ's followers died brutally, declaring the power of Christ's death on the cross. A progressive Christian might say that while they're impressed with that kind of devotion, there was really no need for that kind of devotion because they would say, after all, Jesus is just a good moral example for us to follow, not God's son, the Savior. And this is central to many progressive Christians, even though Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Well, progressive Christians, they would say, well, either John wrote those words, but Jesus never said them, or John never wrote those words, someone else did. And either response undermines Christ, undermines the Bible, and undermines the Apostle John's integrity. And what about one of the famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen? You know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on him will have eternal life. For most progressive Christians, they would say eternal life doesn't need to be pursued to the divinity of Christ. Rather, they would say Christ's consciousness is what we should pursue. And what does that mean? It means that we need to think like Jesus and model our lives after Jesus in order to find the divine within ourselves. That's different. And as we do so, we have to understand that eternal life isn't something that starts sometime in the future. Eternal life is kind of what we're experiencing right now. 
About three months ago, I was riding in my car. I'm driving, and I'm with a mid-20s guy, right? He's kind of halfway through this deconstruction process, and he told me that he still believes in Jesus. He told me that he still wanted to follow Christ's example because that would make the world a better place. And then he told me he does not believe, though, in the next world, a heaven. He finds it pointless to even talk about that. And he said, hell Well, hell isn't a future place, he said. Hell is what we are experiencing right now. And we were driving in an air-conditioned car. Felt pretty good to me. I don't know. All of his statements were rooted in the belief that Jesus is just a good moral example for us to follow, not God's son, the Savior. They would say, after all, Jesus didn't come to ensure salvation. This is a huge one, friends. He came to ensure social justice to make the world kind of a better place, to right a wrong. Um, You know, and that's what they say. It's all about social justice. Now, the Bible speaks about justice over and over again. In fact, in the Old Testament, it says, he has shown you, a man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And speaking of walking humbly with God, then, let us be clear about the difference here. Social justice is doing what is right before man. And keep in mind, like I said earlier, because of our culture, what's right keeps changing all of the time. True justice is doing what is right before God. And what is right has always been right, will always be right, because we serve a living God. Jesus made it clear that he didn't come to wave the flag of social justice. And that's very clear in scripture. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full And how did he bring about life, possible life for those who follow him? Well, in Mark, he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And friends, that's why instead of overthrowing the oppressive Roman government, Jesus died on a cross. You see, he ultimately came to heal every form of injustice that exists in our world. So one day, those who follow him will know a future in heaven where God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, the Bible clearly speaks to a future day when God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And yet many progressive Christians would say God has never had that kind of intention in mind. And even if he did, he does not possess the kind of power to bring that about. That's because they would say God did not create the universe. God is the universe. So while the Bible clearly states that in the beginning God, the very God who existed before, you know, anything and then created everything like the heavens and the earth, many progressive Christians say that God is in all and all is in God. Many of you have heard of the band DC Talk. They were really, really popular for many years. Kevin Max, one part of that band, He announced several months ago that he had been going through the deconstruction process over the past 10 years or so, and he now does not define himself as a Christian anymore. He now defines himself as an ex-evangelical. Again, that's the kind of the newest term for all of this. And in one of his most recent songs, he says, here's where I am with Jesus now. It's okay to be estranged from everything that you were taught. He's talking about your Christian faith. And it's okay to unpack all the hopeless baggage that you bought, which is talking about the Christian faith. 
I know the sun, it never shines in the same place twice. And I know that life is better with the trusted vice. But you will change when you cave to the universal Christ. And what does that mean? It means that while Jesus lived physically on this earth 2,000 years ago, his presence now is manifested through every living thing in the universe. Plants, animals, humans, stars, and the galaxies. So think about it this way. Well, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Many progressive Christians say God and the universe are one. And this also signifies something else, that God is dependent upon nature. Nature is not dependent upon God. And so that ultimately means for many progressive Christians that God then will not judge us after we die since he already accepted us before we were born. And yet Jesus is very clear about all of this. In Matthew 25, he said, when the son of man, his favorite way to refer to himself, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now I want you to notice here that Jesus does not refer to himself as a good moral example or somehow present in the universe. He clearly defines himself as reigning over everything. And then if you read on, it's clear to see that Jesus speaks to two groups. He addresses those who are forgiven by him by saying, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, key word, prepared for you since the creation of the world. But to those who are not his followers, Jesus said, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I want you to notice that. Many people miss this. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not human beings. But when people choose to follow the devil and all of his rebellion, they end up where that rebellion ends up. The deconstruction response would be this. Well, then why would I want to worship a God that would send me to hell? That doesn't sound like a very loving God. Friends, let me tell you about a loving God. A loving God would create you with a free will. You're not a robot. You have been given free will. And a loving God would not force his love upon you. But out of his love, he would do everything he possibly could to reach out to you, to save you, to rescue you from the sin that's impaired you. But in the end, he would also love you enough to honor your choice to reject him. C.S. Lewis said it this way. There are only two kinds of people. Those people who say, thy will be done to God. Or those to whom God in the end says, thy will be done. Friends, God is a gentleman. He will not force his will for you upon you. And that's why hell is not the result of an unloving God. Hell is a result of a person's choice to reject God, his love, and his goodness. You see, friends, what I'm talking about here is this. If we fail to understand Christ's teachings... We don't really embrace what he's really saying. We're going to be tempted to view them in light of what we're really looking for. And we've seen this throughout time. For example, to medieval Catholics, Jesus became the founder of the institutional church. To the Protestants, Jesus became a revolutionary against the institutional church. To socialists, Jesus became one who prized community over the individual. 
And to the capitalists, Jesus became the founder of free enterprise. And to the Anabaptists, Jesus became an example of pacifism. We all tend to want to make Jesus into the form we want to make him in. And yet his message has always been clear. He came to bring salvation to all who would believe in him in order to usher in the kingdom of God, his rule and his reign. One man who went through the deconstruction process and then rebuilt his faith and came back to the faith again, he summed up the progressive view of Christ's teachings this way. He said, we, all, we want all of God's blessings without submitting to his loving rule and reign. We want progress without his presence. We want justice without justification. We want the horizontal implications of the gospel for society without the vertical reconciliation of sinners with God. We want society to conform to our standard of moral purity without God's standard of personal holiness. Bottom line, friends, a gospel without the real Jesus is no gospel at all. The gospel means good news. So the good news without Jesus is not good news. So your head might be spinning right now, right? A lot going on, a lot you just heard. So what do you do with what we just learned? Well, let me give you some ideas. First of all, ask yourself, humbly ask yourself. We all need to. Have I redefined Jesus in some way? Have I remade him? If you say, well, no, then do others know that you believe in the real Jesus? And if you have redefined him, what does it look like for you to submit to the real Jesus. And then when you go about life, you know, you talk to your family, you, you talk to your neighbors, you talk to your coworkers, and they say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus. Well, then follow it up and ask them, who is Jesus to you? What has he done for you? How has he changed your life? And their answers to your question will tell you if they believe in the real Jesus or some other form of Jesus that's out there. And then third, be prepared to share the hope that is within you. Peter writes about this, right? That when we're engaging with others, and there's going to be a conversation. Be prepared to share the hope that is in you because of Jesus Christ. And then as Jesus said, man, be on the lookout. So many voices in our culture, so many people saying, well, this is truth, that is truth, this is truth. Truth is everywhere, but it's not everywhere. And so Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Always be on the lookout. Don't buy everything. And every popular person out there that's speaking, be very careful to see if they're really preaching about the gospel or if they've redefined it in some way. A gospel without the real Jesus is no gospel at all. And so herein lies the question then, right? I mean, why are some people drawn to this deconstruction process? I mean, what triggers their journey to wanting to embrace a reduced Jesus, a redefined Jesus, or no Jesus at all? Well, I'll tell you what they say. People who've stepped through this process say there are three ways and three reasons why they've embraced this journey. It's called an anomaly. And an anomaly is something that happens that you didn't see coming. Something that causes you to question. It really jilts you and you're not sure what to do next. It's an anomaly. Next weekend, I'm going to start addressing the top three anomalies that cause people to walk away. These are the very ones that people who've walked away said these are the reasons why. And we're going to talk about how we as Christians and how we as a church can better respond to people 
so they keep their eyes focused on Jesus. Friends, the lessons we're gonna learn over the next three weekends, they are paramount for us to understand. Because how we respond to others who are faced with this anomaly in their life can mean the difference between life and death. Friends, may we always remember the God we worship is not a redefined God, not a minimized God, not an unloving God or some kind of universal God. He is the same God who made this world. He's the same God who made you. And he's the same God who longs for you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus Christ. He is the same God we see in the Bible. And he is the same God who loves and pursues you. Friend, God loves you. He cherishes you. He made you. And he's calling you. Can you hear him? For those who are online right now, those in this room, I, I want to invite you to think about where you are with Jesus. And perhaps through all that you've heard here today, you know, you said, man, I, I might have redefined him. Or perhaps for others, you're here going, man, I, I'm not sure I've actually come to the point where I know him. I want to give you the opportunity to begin that journey. So wherever you are here in this room and online, will you just close your eyes? And if you would pray a prayer that looks something like this, between your heart and God's, it can just be quiet between your heart and his. And you might say a prayer that sounds something like this. Jesus, I'm not really sure I even know you. I've certainly heard about you. I've certainly heard your teachings along the way, some of them. But I'm not sure I, I know you. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for me. By taking my sin upon yourself and facing the cross for me. Thank you. Will you forgive me? Will you wash me of all my sin? Because Lord, I want to follow you. I want to love you. I want to obey you. And tell others about you all the days of my life. I want to be a child of God. So thank you for your forgiveness. And now give me the strength needed to follow you and represent you in a world that is dark and divided and confused. But Lord, may I not be confused. And every day, help me to keep my eyes on you and you only, that I'll grow in my faith, that I'll grow in my love for you and for others. that I might shine the light of your gospel to all that I meet. I pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the journey, welcome to the family of God.
For all those who are here in this family, even online, if you'd like to, please stand with me right now. And I'd like you to hear the words. God's word spoken to you before you go. Powerful words. Friends, now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Go now in his peace. See you next weekend. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.